0: Welcome to the European Football Show and the World Football Index. Um, as ever, I'm your host, Alan Feely, coming to you from Lisbon, and I'm joined by Jasmine Baba and Hessen and John Sullivan and golf. Jasmine, how are you today?
1: Um, I think we'll get on to this point, but I'm very happy today. I turned the ripe old age of 29 on Friday, managed to see a Gladbach win against Dortmund, which we haven't seen since 2015. And... Yeah, big news coming from the football world today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, John, I think, how are you today? I think you're also quite happy for some reason. Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm quite well, thanks. Uh, This interminable slog of a month is nearly over and that will be just a big milestone for everyone, I feel. So the fact that we're getting through it alive is great.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And is your shopping trip this week, this today, is it, or...?
2: We actually go going to get Tesco delivered this week. So uh, no, unfortunately, I think I'm housebound for the next 10 days or so. But, you know, it was good while it lasted. No, No, no chili
0: fichacci so no?
2: No, unfortunately not. I'll have to make do with regular bread like a peasant,
0: unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so I guess there's no point being around the bush. Uh, the big news breaking this morning is that Frank Lampard has been sacked as Chelsea manager and uh, Thomas Tuchel, recently sacked by Paris Saint-Germain. His lineup to replace him. Obviously, it's very, very big news. Um, Lampard kind of took over the job uh, last season, took over a squad that was very young with the transfer ban imposed after a successful season with Derby County. And did well in his first season, to be fair, performed quite well, got into the Champions League. Um, this season, he spent heavily in the transfer market, brought in a lot of expensive talent, especially German talent, as Jasmine will touch on later, I'm sure. Um, but hasn't been able to meet expectations whatsoever. They've been very, very poor, very inconvincing. And like for me, uh, I think his recent outburst that the Athletics Liam me at a press conference was kind of the flailings of a dying fish, you could say, very much kind of you know lashing out in desperation towards the end. Uh, and of course, can kind of linked to the several memorable moments, including a kind of touchline spat with Jurgen Klopp uh, during Project Restart. Uh, so, Jasmine, I'm going to be you first. What do you think about Frank's dismissal before he we went to Tuchel and the job he did at Chelsea and the manner in which he's left the season?
1: I mean, there's a few good points to be made about Frank Lampard getting the job. I think a lot of us saw Lampard as being quite arrogant and saying he had worked hard to get there when a lot of us would disagree with that. He did an okay job with Derby, but with the types of players that like he had at Derby, maybe it's argued he should have done a little better. Um, so him landing Chelsea was like a little bit of a shock, especially how Chelsea deal with big bigger names Um, and despite being a club legend there was nothing really managerial about him to take that role Um, but he had a job to do. Chelsea were in the middle of a transfer ban and I think he had been proven to work well with young talent. Um, He had the likes of Fikayo Tamori, um, Mason Mount in Derby as well which he made work. Um, Unfortunately after spending all that money He just wasn't the right man anymore. And despite getting into the Champions League last year, I think that was pretty lucky of him to get that too. Because if Leicester had held on just a little bit more at the end of last season, they would have taken the Champions League place. Um, I don't think Lampard would have been sacked had they not made Champions League last year. I think it was down to consequences of having a transfer ban but um it was pretty clear that what Lampard may have had had run out and I think I thought today that sacking him today it's obviously while we're recording it's not official from the Chelsea account just yet but I've got them I've got their Twitter account up just waiting for the corner flag to pop up um I find it a little bit strange to sack him now, but there were rumours of Tuchel going back to Hertha, which has its own crazy problems at the moment, so probably thought it was better to get a big name now than lose out in the future.
0: Definitely. I think Leicester beating Chelsea during the week 2-0, I was struck by a really professional performance from Leicester. It was a really well coached team, I think, compared to a team who is, as we mentioned last week, almost like a collection of individuals. Um, Leicester were really kind of lean and mean and kind of tore Chelsea to pieces. I thought really, you know, um, very kind of ruthless. And then they beat um, Luton Town, of course, three-one in the FA Cup on Saturday or on Sunday rather. Um, Timor missing a penalty still scores for goal for Chelsea, um, and it was kind of almost like a. A relief for them to be Luton. That's the situation they're in right now. They're really kind of almost catastrophe after catastrophe. Um, so, John, for you, what do you think about um, Lampard's reign at Chelsea? I was kind of struck that it's quite similar to maybe Ronald Koeman at Barcelona in terms of when you have a bad situation at the club, like Barcelona have right now, post the Messi Burefact situation, the, uh, the kind of the middle of the presidential transition, um, and Chelsea had with the transfer ban when you bring in a club legend like that it almost buys them a bit of extra credibility from the fans because they're slower to turn on somebody than they would on somebody who's kind of coming in from the outside so what did you make of his appointment and also of the way his reign went
2: yeah I also felt that when Lampard came in he had this immediate fall guy off the transfer band to kind of buy himself a little bit of leeway but I also think that you know, when you look at it in context, they had deal a deal agreed for Mateo Kovacic before that happened, so it's not as if you know he he didn't have uh, he didn't have additions to his squad, a squad that by the way had finished third and had won the Europa League a season before, and there was a narrative being spun that Lampard had, had improved Chelsea uh, compared to what Maurizio Sarri had done, and you know I never bought that for a second. Um, at the beginning of his reign, you could see that there was like, as I said before, like a, re- a residual Sarriism. They looked like a Maurizio Sarri team for the first couple of months, and then maybe it it dipped a little bit, and uh, <laughs> uh, then he made it through to to uh, last summer after after finishing fourth in the Premier League. But as Jasmine said, like that was because of an unprecedented bad run from Leicester in terms of results. I mean, from January onto. Whenever the season finished last year, it was a longer season, was it June? Uh, Lesser basically registered relegation for him, and they had a plethora of injuries. So I think they were kind of fortuitous in how they got into the Champions League. And then, of course, he was back to high heavens in the summer. But it felt like Chelsea really didn't have a plan in the transfer window. I mean, they, they signed, for example, they signed Hakim Ziyech from Ajax, and then they went and signed uh, Kai Havertz. And there was a very interesting heat map that uh, came out during the summer which showed that Kai Havertz and Ziyech, like, inhibit the same parts of the pitch. They play in exactly the same areas. So i had always felt that what Chelsea done, especially in the case of Timo Werner, who, like, by all accounts, he wanted to join Liverpool. And uh, it was just that Liverpool couldn't stump up enough money uh enough money straight away to sign them, And then they went to sign Jota because the deal was more advantageous to them because they could pay a smaller upfront fee. So I, I think a lot of what Chelsea done in the summer was opportunism because they had a billionaire owner, FFP was relaxed. And a lot of these players who wanted to move elsewhere, for example, would Kaya Wirtz have gone to Bayern Munich if Bayern Munich hadn't signed Leroy Sané? So a lot of those players who probably would have gone elsewhere if they had their own choice went to Chelsea and then you thought maybe their their heart wasn't in it and uh, was there a plan for them to succeed so I don't think it was so Lampard Lampard get, will get the brunt of it and he deserves it because he hasn't improved Chelsea one iota but I also think the club has a lot to answer for because there doesn't seem like there's a solid plan
0: at all in place there for sure and also of those attacking players you mentioned it seems to me that Mason Mount is his favorite you know there's the guy he kind of loves using he trusts them very much so it really did speak to kind of a lack of uh, overarching planning and kind of coherence in Chelsea's part for sure um just touching on Thomas Tuchel he always struck me as a kind of character who wasn't built for PSG he's built for a kind of a team who's maybe fighting to become one of the true elite you could say um I think he works best with younger players who can kind of influence more and who can adapt to his system as opposed to him tailoring a system to the players he has and to their egos, like he would have with Mbappe and Di Maria and Neymar, for instance. Um, But if he does come into Chelsea, Jasmine, like I I think the Premier League could be quite worried, couldn't they? Because they have such a strong squad that a fresh person coming in with a clear kind of tactical picture could really cause damage, couldn't they?
1: Um, I'm yeah I'm genuinely worried about how well he could do at Chelsea Um, he's one of the smartest tacticians like football coaches that I've ever listened to and um, he has I know there's a little bit of disagreements about him and sometimes some of his like social like relationships with people at clubs and sometimes even players aren't it, it seems to be quite strenuous for him at times. But we have to take on what he's done in the past. He's nurtured someone who, as you said, young, but still a household big name in Mbappe. And he's got the skill to deal with big names as well as nurture talent. And I think that's why it's such a scary appointment for other clubs in the league. Um He's got an abundance of talent. He'll find a way to use that talent. And he's got his one of his biggest fans in defence in Thiago Silva. So, yeah, it's going to be... I would give him a little bit of time, um, especially this season. They're quite a little bit off the mark. And he will still need to adjust to the way the league is and his abundance of players. Um but definitely in the start of next season and even the Champions League, those one-off games, mm. he could make an immediate impact on his style and what he does with clubs.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, and John you, what do you think about the potential of maybe appointing Tuchel? Um, like he's always struck me as well as kind of almost being quite a proud person, quite a kind of a Kind almost a loud personality, so I'd imagine his pride would be smarting from the way his time with PSG ended after getting to the Champions League final last season and dominating domestically as they did. So, do you think that him coming in with a point to prove could really spell danger for us, division?
2: Yeah, definitely. If even though if you look at the table, they're only five points off fourth. I mean, it's highly, highly unlikely that they'll mount a challenge to get into the Champions League, especially because he's not going to have that much time in the training ground. This crazily compacted schedule, I mean, is basically games recovery, games recovery. That's that's the process that teams are going through. But uh, I think certainly from a tactical perspective, he's a very interesting and shrewd coach. I think the one thing that's probably let him down so far in his career was the fact that he seems to always fall out with owners. And I mean, Roman Abramovich is notorious for uh, giving coaches the bullet. So long term, it will be interesting to see how those two you know dovetail and what their relationship is like um, but I think he's certainly someone that can get a much better tune out of this Chelsea squad than, uh, than Lampard did and maybe it sounds a little bit lazy but you'd think like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz who have really realistically they've struggled up until this point they their compatriot might give them a little bit of impetus and a little bit of uh, confidence to show their through levels because like I mentioned, they've been poor, but they're not poor players. They're just in a poor moment in a team that's not necessarily built to suit their best attributes. So if he can even get maybe 10 to 15% more out of either of those two players, well, then they have enough firepower to win a lot of games in this league. And like Jasmine mentioned as well, in the Champions League, like in one-off games, they can be a very dangerous side. I mean, they went to the Sanchez-Piswan and absolutely destroyed uh, Sevilla this season. So like they have the capacity in once-off games to hurt a lot of teams. So uh, they'll be interested to see how they uh, how they get on the Cups. Of course, they beat Luton in the FA Cup yesterday, so they advance uh, in that as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. The caveat to the Sevilla game was that it was a very weakened Sevilla team. Um, and Sevilla already qualified as well. But still, they were very impressive in that night. I remember Juru especially was superb. But um, but speaking of Paris Saint-Germain and Kylian Mbappé, they beat Montpellier for the weekend. Uh, Poch back in the touchline after spending a bit of time out um, from after testing positive from COVID-19. Um, Jasmine, what do you think about PSG this season? There's a lot of rumours flying around about them um, in terms of their activity this coming summer. Uh, Kylian Mbappe and Neymar's contracts both run out in summer of 2022. So realistically, unless they both renew this season, they both won't be there next season because PSG can't allow... A situation to happen where either of them would leave in a free transfer and given the financial difficulties that French football is going through at the moment including PSG because of the television deal that kind of went, went bust uh, it'd be almost impossible to renew the both of them especially if they want to bring in as has been mentioned perhaps Sergio Aguero and Lionel Messi so I just want to ask your opinion on who would you pick between Neymar and Mbappe the kind of talk in Paris at the moment is leaning towards Neymar, apparently that's who they see, the PSG hierarchy see as being the man who's leading forward their project. And Mbappe is kind of eyeing up a move to perhaps either Madrid or Liverpool. So what do you think about that? What you think of PSG, Pochettino's impact, where he could take the team, and also the future of Kylian Mbappe and Neymar?
1: I mean, it, it French football as a whole is in a bit of difficulty as it is, and something... Uh, It's one of those worst, like, lose-lose situations. Luckily, the French League is a little bit more expansive, and I think someone like Aguero, who even though is a little bit older, can still succeed at the Ligue level, and I think he'd fit in perfectly in that PSG team, even if, as you said, either Mbappe or Neymar do leave. I think they will... um, keep on Neymar I think it's easier to keep on Neymar in that PSG team and I think Mbappe will be the one looking to leave I think as he's younger and achieved so much it's now the time to take on other challenges in different leagues um, and leave the French football world behind to try and make mark somewhere else now and I think in terms of money it will be more beneficial for PSG to keep Neymar and let go of um Mbappe. That being said, with um Pochettino's kind of new reign, obviously he's had COVID and came back um into managerial um under that 4-0 win 4 uh, nil win against Montpellier. Um it's kind of hard to see what style Pochettino has made the club play with right now he's a very vertical tactician and it's quite direct against Montpellier especially there was quite a few long balls straight to Neymar and Mbappe so it's kind of hard to see what kind of style this club will be and he's got a bit of a history with that under Tottenham And Southampton, where his style of play isn't as clear as you would see uh, maybe an Allegri style or um, a Tuchel style, for instance. So it will be interesting to see how he develops that if he does lose his players or name, well, either Mbappe or Neymar. So yeah, it's quite an interesting time to see how they adapt and also how they ruffle. Barcelona's feathers in the Champions League with all the rumours that they want to sign Messi.
0: Yeah, certainly. Leonardo has been quite, the sporting director has been quite vocal in his attempts to kind of, you know, talk up a move for Messi, uh, saying that, you know, a player like him is always of interest to us. Mernon Koeman and Barcelona weren't too happy about those comments. Uh, I think the idea in Catalonia is that they're trying to almost destabilise the club before uh, they're upcoming Champions League last 16 game uh, John what do you think about the PSU situation do you think that Posh could be the man to bring them forward uh, into the kind of Champions League other stage of this season and do you think that their recruitment for this summer could really strengthen them if they do sell Mbappe and bring in perhaps Messi and Aguero
2: yeah it's 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 an interesting one I think certainly he will approve them um, against the last weeks of Tuchel's reign I think that's Absolutely for certain, and uh, they've they've started quite well already. But realistically, like without trying to disparage the league, like they should be winning next to every game in that competition. Like the the money they've spent in the squad they have compared to their rivals is just there's no competition. Uh, in terms of Europe, though, yeah, they definitely have the capacity, you know, to go to go far in that competition. Of course, they're in the final last year. Even though last year it was a bit of a strange year, and they were maybe a bit fortuitous to beat Atalanta with that late goal. But uh, I think, yeah, they definitely have the capacity to go far in that competition. I don't think they'd be winners. I don't think, um, I don't think defensively they're, they're quite strong enough. And in midfield, maybe, aside from Verratti, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too keen on many of the players I have in that area. Their attack is obviously, obviously very good. But like you mentioned, there's talk of one off or even both of Mbappe or Neymar leaving. I think I can certainly see Mbappe going. Um, there's talk that, you know, uh, he could be interested in joining Liverpool. I just think that would take that would take a bit of a, a leap from Liverpool from their usual strategy in terms of signing players. But uh, I guess with the Nike, with the new Nike sponsorship at the club, that could be something that they collaborate on or work together on in the manner that Adidas and Manchester United worked to recruit Paul Pogba in 2016. So that's potentially something to keep an eye on. But I don't think if he had the opportunity presented to him to join Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane being a Frenchman and being of Algerian extraction like Zidane himself, I don't know if he could if he could turn that opportunity down. So um, I, I probably envisage him joining Real Madrid. Messi or Neymar is a strange one because, you, like you mentioned, with Messi being linked there, those two seem to have a very strong relationship and they seem very keen to play together once again. And Messi kind of uh, advocated for the re-signing of Neymar at Barcelona for a couple of years now. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether Messi ends up in Paris or not. I think certainly it would be a bit of a waste, but I'm sure the money they would throw at him would be very tempting. And uh, you mentioned Aguero. I think Aguero will be an absolutely fantastic signing for PSG. I mean, if you look at it, who would you rather? And you'll know this as an Everton fan. Would you rather Moise Kane or would you rather Sergio Aguero? And even like, yes, Aguero is aging and he's had injury issues, but like his time in Manchester City has been marked by the fact that he's kind of frequently picked up injuries but he can just come back from an injury and not need time to readjust and to find rhythm and he can just instantly be in the goals straight away and uh, I don't think he's a player that's ever really relied on lots of pace it's always been about intelligence of movement and little short sharp bursts so I think that even it in, uh, in his age that he is, kind of coming into his mid-30s, I still think he could be an excellent signing and I think he'd do very, very well at PSG.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think he's, he's just a killer, isn't he, Aguero? Like, he really is. He's kind of just one of those strikers who just scores goals for fun. Um, and also, I also think it's underestimated how close he is with Messi. Like They're very, very good friends. They spent every birthday together for the last um, decade or so. I think only this year was the first birthday they've not spent together in over 10 years. Um, very good friends. They played, of course, in the same... Uh, Argentina team that won the 2008 Olympics and um, so if you add Neymar Aguero and Messi as a front three you know three musketeers it could be almost like the Messi-Suarez Neymar uh, lineup uh, for Barcelona back in 2015 of course they're all getting on a bit but they're still killers of course you know um, Jasmine
1: I just do you know when you ask, get asked the question who's your f- most favourite player outside of the your own club that you support for me, it's yeah, yeah. always been Sergio Aguero, and I was absolutely devastated when Man City bought him in 2011 for that price. It was around 30 million, thirty, thirty-ish million, and yeah. I just thought we needed a clinical striker at the time like him, and I always did him. And when Man City came with that offer, I was like, that cheap for him. It was going to be. He was going to be world class for them, and it's still ten years later haunts me to this
0: day. <laughs> yeah, for sure, I mean, he's a fantastic player. Um, elsewhere in France, a couple of interesting derbies: Lyon beat Saint Etienne five 0 and uh, Monaco beat Marseille three one. A couple of interesting games there. Speaking of Barcelona, who faced PSG in the last sixteen, they had a quite a good week. They bounced back from their Athletic Club defeat and the Super Cup final to beat. UE Cornella, who are a third division team in Spain, 2 uh, 0 after extra time. They actually missed two penalties during the game, if you could believe that. And they beat Elche 2 uh, 0 yesterday. Frankie de Jong playing really, really well at the moment for Barcelona. And elsewhere in Spain, uh, Athletic O oh Madrid won two games this week. They beat Ibar midweek and then they beat Valencia last night. And Luis Suarez was pivoted in both games. Like, just a moment of appreciation for Luis Suarez. Like, John, I know. You obviously maybe have mixed feelings about him from his time in Liverpool and the way he left Liverpool. But for me, I would associate him more with Barcelona now than with Liverpool. Like, for me, he's a Barcelona player as opposed to an ex-Liverpool player. And he's just phenomenal. Like, he'd been written off completely um, this last summer. Basically sent to the glue factory by by Ronald Koeman in Barcelona. Messi was desperate for him to stay. And um, Barcelona didn't agree. Sent him on his way to a direct rival for no transfer fee. It's quite remarkable, really. And just the manner of his two goals against Eibar, especially, because Iparua is a very difficult ground to play in in Spain. It's very small ground. It's very compact. It's in the Basque country. The weather is different there. Um, for the first goal, he just overpowered the opposition defence to kind of batter the goal. And it was a proper, you know, no-hose barred striker's goal. And the second goal was delicious. It was a panenka chip. Really audacious. He wheeled away, you know, blowing out his gun like the El Pistolero, the gunman, as he's known in Spain. He's just a phenomenal character, really, and you feel that like him with Diego Simeone, this kind of us-against-the-world mentality, and with a point to prove and a chip on his shoulder, it's really, things are just lining so well for him, aren't they?
2: Oh, definitely. I think under Ronaldo and Messi in the last decade, I think Luis Suarez and probably Robert Lewandowski slash Karim Benzema have probably been the best forwards in the world. He's an absolutely brilliant player, and that set-up at al uh, Madrid really suits him because... We know that he's lost a lot of his physical attributes, especially pace. So the way they're using him now is just in the finishing phase. He's not really having to contribute that much to the build up like he would have at Barcelona, where the style of football is more pure and more, you know, all about little touches and passing and interchanges. I think João Felix takes a lot of that responsibility off his shoulders. And Suarez can just concentrate on being the spearhead, which really suits him at this stage of his career. I felt that when he joined Atletico Madrid and when Barcelona kind of balls up from an administrative point of view and didn't include them in the list of clubs that he could join it was just felt so inevitable that he would win the title with Atletico Madrid in spite of Barcelona and at this stage they keep winning they have games in hand they have a nice cushion between first and second I will uh, I, I I'll put my limb out there and say that uh, I think they're going they're going to win uh, the La Liga and uh, you mentioned the the Ibar game. It was interesting that their goalkeeper took and scored a penalty. Yeah. That's phenomenal. like Brazilian, Rogério Sene kind of, kind of stuff that you don't see too often. So that, that was cool.
0: Yeah, it was. It's Marco Dimitrovic. Very, very burly goalkeeper. Um, Serbian goalkeeper. Very good player, actually. He's very linked with um, Sevilla this summer. That's um, kind of competition for Yacine Bono. And that's the rumour anyway. Um, but he's been a very good player for Ibar. Um, and it was a very good goal for sure. I actually saw Austin Miller, who's um, part of the South American podcast in the World Football Index. And he said, you know, what was the big deal? Because in South America, goalkeepers scoring goals all the time. It's just, it's a dumb thing in Brazil, especially, you know. So that was funny. Um, Jasmine, we spoke about Arsenal missing out on Sergio Aguero they also, of course, famously missed out on Louis Suarez. What do you <laughs> make of his form? And do you ever wonder about a parallel universe where Arsenal had signed Suarez that year?
1: It would have been great. I mean, I, mean, I think we were just calling out for one of those players, just clinical, technical, direct. I mean, we did well enough, but he would have really elevated our game and it is weird how you were saying you think about him more of a Barcelona player than a Liverpool player He just wasn't at Liverpool exactly at the correct time almost Mm. I mean imagine him in the squad now I mean it would have probably been a bit top heavy but yeah I I think Arsenal Arsenal was crying out for someone like that at the time and that parallel universe would have been a lot better. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Um, Arsenal, of course, picking up a good win against Newcastle, 3-0. Aubameyang heard your comments in last week's podcast by him not (laughs) earning the pen shirt and responded in kind. Um, But then, of course, he lost to Southampton at the weekend, 1-0. Theo Walker, Southampton, no less. uh, Mm Ex-Everton and Arsenal. What do you think of that game and how do you feel about Arsenal at the moment? Do you just feel like you know, there's an inconsistency there or are they building in the correct direction? And also, of course, uh, they're imminently, apparently, signing um, Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid, a very exciting Norwegian playmaker. He spent last season on Loma Real Sociedad and was actually called back early by Real Madrid this past summer because he performed so well at San, the San Sebastian club um, but he hasn't really got much minutes this season so do you think that Arsenal are going in the right direction or are they too inconsistent for your liking and do you think that Oregard could be a big upgrade in their attacking midfield options
1: I think the team that he put out against Southampton a very very good team we know what Hassan Huttel can achieve with Southampton and is achieving with Southampton to go for a weakened down team um, kind of showed that I'm I'm not I'm still not sure what exactly happened. I mean, yes, you have to rotate players, but if you didn't really want to win the FA Cup or go for the FA Cup, why did you put on stronger players in extra time against Newcastle? Why did you then again play a strong team against Newcastle where you could have probably argued rotation would have fit better on when we played Newcastle in the Premier League? So to put a kind of of middle-of-the-road team out of Southampton kind of said, we're going to try and win it with this team, but we're not really bothered if we don't, Um, which was a very, very confusing thought process to do that. I'm not too worried about it. It just showed that some of the players that we've got at the moment aren't quite good enough. I didn't think Pepe stood out again, Willingham has been awful yet again and really can't make an argument starting anywhere near the team at the moment. Um, But I'm encouraged by the Odegaard news. I think, I I was saying that Emi Bündia would have been a good signing, but I think with finances, letting players go, clearing out Deadwood, would Norwich even let him sign for Arsenal, I don't know. Um, So the fact that we've got almost risk-free, a talented young player and almost risk-free by having him on loan, a very creative player and a very big talent is really good news for Arsenal and it's something that they need. My own slight worry with Odegaard is his stats and his style of play is slightly more Alexander Kleb and I think we may need someone a bit more like our who is a, just a little bit more direct when it comes to shooting um, but you know as I said it's risk free Emil Smith-Rowe can't play number 10 all the time we're going to have to rotate and he is I'm quite excited to see him play for us
0: It's a very brave move on his part I think because you know he was actually it's underestimated in football how difficult it is to switch leagues and to come into environments, especially when you're coming in unknown as a young player. And he's not had that much game time in his career so far. Like he thrived at Real Sociedad last season, for instance. But post lockdown, amid their collective kind of downturn in form, he also had a downturn in form. And when he went back to Madrid, it was always going to be a tall ask. But you know, they're they're kind of having a difficult situation at the moment, where at board level they want to focus on bringing in young talent. But Zidane is obviously more focused on results and he's narrowed down his selection of his team to the Odegaard to Tony Cruz, to Luka Modric, to Casemiro, who, when they're on song, there's not many better midfield threes in the world than that, you know. Um, so it's quite difficult for him to break in there. Um, John, what do you think about the Odegaard signing? I think Danny Sabaya said some interesting things in an interview during the week. He was talking about the adaption to the Premier League and he said that while he had been warned that it was going to be difficult... Physically, he didn't realise how difficult it was going to be. And he said no matter who he spoke to, whether it was Thomas Partey or other players who came from Spain to England, they're all struck by the intensity of the football and the difficulty in adapting to it. So do you think that he could have trouble adapting to the situation? Do you think he's the right man for Arsenal? Um, Because, you know, coming into this situation this season, especially with the condensed schedule, it's really quite ruthless, isn't it, like?
2: oh absolutely like there is no room for maneuver it's either you gotta hit the ground running um it's a six-month loan and there doesn't seem to be an option at the end of it which is which is interesting so i'd be fairly confident given how young he is and given the fact that as a very young player playing in norway he made his debut at 15 he trialed at a lot of premier league clubs be it liverpool i think he might have been at i think he might have been even at chelsea and so he he would have you know, even a tiny bit of experience of the intensity of english football but i'd be confident that if he had stayed longer in arsenal than six months that yeah he would adapt to it just because he's so young but uh he's a very talented player uh jasmine is right Emile smith rowe who i've been very impressed with i kind of thought after he didn't really do much at leipzig when he was on loan there that maybe you know he was a bit overhyped and maybe not quite as good as what people had said but he's been superb lately he's a very smooth player very good technique he seems to have a lot of vision and has an eye for a pass so he's impressed me but yeah especially in this really condensed season he, he can't play all the time so so to have a quality operator like Odegaard who is very good because he was very very impressive at Sociedad last season uh will be a really good fill up for the club and they've also signed Matt Ryan on loan uh to be their number two keeper who um Demonstrably, would be uh, an upgrade on uh, Runnerson, who was very, very poor in the few occasions I've seen him, especially in the League Cup against Man City. So uh, that's that's two very good moves to them, and I think slowly Arteta is starting, you know, to to kind of shape up his squad. They're going to be inconsistent, I feel, as uh, we've seen lately. They've had a decent run, and then, of course, put out with a cup with a with a very weakened team against Southampton. A decision I kind of found hard to understand given that it would be a realistic route back into Europe and the defending champions but uh, nevertheless I think uh, he will be a good signing and whether he hits a ground running will be interesting to see because he hasn't played a whole lot for Real Madrid and just just to make a broader point it just doesn't seem like Zinedine Zidane has a fantastic record with developing younger players I mean would Valverde be one of the only kind of in inverted commas success stories of a young player who he who he's improved since he's been there?
0: He'd even bring in Valverde though. It was actually Santiago Solari who did that. Um, and when Solari was in charge, of that brief spell obviously it didn't go very well. But he brought in Sergio Reguilon to the team, who's since gone on to do quite well at Sevilla and now Spurs, uh, and also Valverde, and also um, all, you know other, other players too. So it's kind of strange the Zidane situation because he's so reliant to the old guard and um, like they had a kind of a strange week. They they won 4-1 at Alaves who were actually celebrating their centenary on Saturday evening. Uh, but they actually lost uh, 2-1 in the Copa del Rey to third tier Alcoyano on Wednesday night, which is a remarkable result really, you know, it's kind of almost unprecedented to, to lose in that manner to such a, a minnow. Um, but yeah, it's... Where because the Madrid press were joking during the week because whenever Zidane comes under pressure, the old guard step up. Like after the Aciano game, you know he was under pressure, of course, and he was actually COVID positive, so he wasn't even at the game on Saturday night. But you know they responded in kind with the old guard. Uh, Eden Hazard even playing quite well. Um, but then going back to the point we made about um, foreign players adapting to England, like I thought on Sunday afternoon it was kind of a tale of three midfielders, you could say, because you had. Thiago, Bruno Fernandes, and Paul Pogba. Now, Pogba, I thought he played very well. I thought he was kind of in a more defensive role than normal. He was in a more humble role than normal. Um, I thought he did a job very well. And he's obviously in very, very good form at the moment. I, I saw you tweet, John, that you think he's playing for a move. Um, but do you think there's a chance that maybe he's actually kind of locking into uh, almost a tournament mindset like he did for France in 2018? And he can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he's kind of putting together a collection of performances to push for something big. Um, that's one question I was going to ask you. And then also thinking about Fernandez and Thiago. Like, Fernandez obviously was superb when he came on. Um, and I think it's not an exaggeration to say he's made more of an impact at United as a new signing than anybody since Eric Cantona in terms of changing the mentality of the club and kind of, you know, lifting it up by its bootstraps almost. And then with Thiago, for the third part of this question, like we've watched the article about him, you know, so much uh, in, in this podcast, especially. Like he's a fantastic footballer, that's undoubted. Um, I saw a tweet during the week labeling him, uh, what was it Thiago Sebastian Veron? I think it was. I you know you responded to that quite strongly on, uh, on Twitter. Um, and also, just the Liverpool situation is quite strange. Like, I mean, Thiago is undoubtedly a good player. But do you think there's a grain of truth into the idea that he's just not the right fit for this Liverpool team? Or do you think that he's a, he's suffering because of a collective downturn performance from Liverpool? So that was a very long-winded question. But if I could basically ask you your thoughts on Pogba, his run of form, Fernandes, his impact, and Thiago, the Thiago situation.
2: Yeah, well, first thing on Pogba's run of form, I mean this guy has all the ability in the world and like the stumbling block for his progression so far has just been consistency and now whether that's like a concentration thing or an application thing uh, remains to be seen or whether he's motivated because he has flirted with Juventus and Real Madrid in the past. So, I mean, it's probably kind of a logical leap to say that he's trying to engineer a move because uh, his agent basically said as much on the eve of the, Leipzig game, which wasn't even that long ago, I know it feels like a million years ago, but it wasn't that long ago that we was flushing his eyelashes at clubs in the media before a pivotal game for Manchester United. But the way football works is one good run of form and people will totally forget about things like that. Um yeah, the the tournament comparison you made is interesting because maybe he just has in his mind like this fixed goal of reaching this certain point and just putting his all into it. Until that point in time, and like if he puts his all into it, he can be one of the best midfielders in the world. Because in terms of his makeup, he has everything. He has technical quality, he has vision, he has strength, power, everything. So I think it, I think if he certainly uh, plays to this level consistently towards the end of the season, I think United could be there thereabouts for challenging uh, Manchester City for the title. Um, similarly, yeah, you're right, Bruno Fernandez. His his impact has been instantaneous and the way he's kind of put Manchester United on his back and carried them from probably the obscurity of finishing seventh or eighth to third in the Premier League and now you know competing at the top for what looks like might be a title challenge has been superb and uh I don't know if he's a vocal character or what what his leadership attributes are like of course he captains sporting in Portugal but certainly in terms of leading by example he uh He's a great person to have because he's so brave in what he does. not a conservative footballing bone in his body. Like Everything he does is forward-thinking. He tries to break the lines all the time. He shoots quite a lot. All of his passes have an idea of trying to hurt the opposition. So I think that kind of mentality, especially in a season like this, is infectious. And especially when he's playing with younger players like Rashford and Greenwood, they kind of pick up on that energy and then they want to try and hurt teams all the time. And then that just spreads throughout the team. And they do have the firepower to to hurt a lot of teams. Has been evidence this season. So I think what you're saying is correct. Yeah, and he, he's definitely he's definitely I think the most important individual player to a certain team in the Premier League right now. I don't think there's anybody that's really as pivotal to a team as he is. Maybe arguably Van Dyke to Liverpool, and we're starting to see the impact of not having him on them now. Which uh, leads me into Thiago and what you said. I think Thiago. I think Thiago has largely been decent for Liverpool. Uh, there's a lot of stats going around that in this last five games that he's played since he's come back from injury that Liverpool have lost all the games. But that's not because of him. That's just because the team is faltering really badly and faltering really badly in front of goal. In terms of XG, they have had a better XG than their opposition in all of those games. They just haven't been able to execute on that, and that's not his fault. As with the comparisons for one Sebastian Veron, well, Varon wasn't a success at United nor Chelsea and he was playing in teams that were in a really good moment and he just couldn't exert his influence on them whereas Thiago right now is playing quite well in a team that's playing very poorly but you also have to look at it in a broader context the fact of the matter is is that Thiago is playing as the number six but as a number six He's expected to be a defensive shield, and that's just not in his makeup. He's a playmaker. He's an orchestrator. He's a guy that you delegate your creative responsibility to. He's not the kind of guy that you want Paul Pogger running at, and you're going to expect him to win a physical tussle with him. That's just not in his makeup. So he's been asked to do something that's totally alien to him in a new league after having COVID, after having a long injury, whilst the team has been really struggling. So I think that's a bit of. Uh, I think it's a certainly a false equivalence to compare him to Varane, and uh, I think largely he's been quite good for Liverpool. And the unfortunate thing is, is that their best defensive midfielder, because of the way the injuries has happened, has has to play at centre half. That's uh, Fabinho, and now the best performance Thiago has, and you'll know this, was in the Merseyside derby where he played as a number eight and Fabinho anchored. But like, we're probably not going to see that until the end of the season. So for all intents and purposes, I think he's being quite unfortunate and I'm not at all worried about his capability of excelling in this Liverpool team and really helping them to improve and giving them an evolution to their midfield play.
0: I think Pep Linders was speaking during the week and he said that, you know, Thiago isn't a problem with the fit in, he's actually a solution to the problem. And that problem is when there's a low block and it's difficult to break down teams who are kind of maybe treating the foot more respect than they would have in the previous seasons he's the man who can actually unlock that defence. And my personal opinion is that his form, or the effect he's having on the form, is because of their poor form, if that makes sense. I don't think that he's the cause of any of their problems. I think their problems are much greater than him. And he's only a part of that problem because of the way the team is constructed, if that makes sense. And actually, the point you made about his positioning is very important, I think, because prior to Ancelotti coming into Bayern Munich, he was actually always seen as an attacking player. Kind of you know playing on the left or on the right, or as a number 10, because of course the Barcelona team he broke into was had a uh, Chavi Iniesta and Busquets in the midfield three. Um, and it was only Ancelotti who actually shifted him to a more pivot position that he then made his own, of course. So I think he's proven that he can adapt, um, very well throughout his career. Uh, and for you, Jasmine, what do you think about uh, the, the three midfielders on Sunday afternoon? You could say, do you think that? Our analysis of them is just, or do you have different opinions, or what?
1: I think what John mainly said was right. I think there's a lot of kind of clickbaity stats where um, a lot of people use stats without any context and to try and paint a kind of viewpoint or agenda which doesn't really fit. And I think that's the one with um, Tiago starting five games, but they haven't won any. Uh, Liverpool's problems go far beyond one player and he's probably one of the best performing players in the team right now. So I don't really... I mean, I am kind of worried about for Liverpool right now because something's just not quite there. They've obviously got a lot of um, injuries and it just isn't really working. There's questions if Thiago and Wijnaldum can play together. I'm not quite sure, but... I, I think, I, I think the midfield there is absolutely fine. I mean, they still scored two goals against a very good Manchester United team, and I think they're just really missing Yota at the moment. I think that's one of one of the things that they're missing um, to pull it away from the midfield. I don't think Trent Alexander Arnold has looked very good in the last five games that I've watched him. And you see other fullbacks coming into form, just like Luke Shaw, who was tremendous once again. And I'm just thinking, has just the slight dip in form of not only Alexander-Arnold, I would say Robertson as well, just completely hindered that. It it was a bit like watching... uh, Sorry, John, for saying this, but it was a bit like watching Arsenal in the way that it looks like everyone's bad form... Has come at the same time, which even which makes the team look even worse than they are. So everyone's just apart from Thiago and probably maybe Salah as well is underperforming, and there's just little points where I don't think Reece Williams looked that comfortable. I I don't think anyone was expecting him to be another Virgil Van Dijk, but he didn't look comfortable. And it's all these little problems that are just made a mountain for Jürgen Klopp's side.
0: And John, I'm always read on the Burnley game and Klopp's spat with Sean Dyke at halftime. And also <laughs> his comments, his comments about, um, you know, wanting to bring in a centre-back and being told there's no money to do so. What, what, what do you make about that?
2: Oh, the Burnley game. Wow. Um So I watched the Burnley game at home and my girlfriend was in another room. And then when I was going to bed, she was like, why did you keep saying, oh my God, that's all she could hear. And I said that I kept saying, oh my God, every time a final ball was terrible. So I think I soundtracked the whole game by saying, oh my God, probably about 400 different times. It was just, if people remember the time where David Moyes is Manchester United manager and they set a Premier League record against Fulham for crosses into the box in a two-all draw, they just kept like aimlessly like pumping crosses into the box with no real like idea or imagination behind them. Well, yeah, it was that, and like there is no worse team than Burnley to just speculatively hoist like hail mary crosses into the box because like, their centre halves were literally built to withstand uh, pressure on their foreheads. I'd say Dyche probably like throws stuff at them at training to test the rigidity of their heads. So. Uh the likes of Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky just like headed away everything and Liverpool just looked totally devoid of any ideas. And uh part of me was kind of glad though that Klopp had that spat with Deich, because it was like, okay, he's angry. Let's let's see will this give some impetus to the team and put some fire under them to to see an improvement. And to be fair, they, they were a lot better against Manchester United even in defeat. But uh, you know, fair play to Burnley, they play within certain parameters. And uh, uh on on that note, you know, they don't they done quite well. They really they really kept Liverpool to very few clear chances, and the best chance Liverpool had was when uh, Origi went through on goal. But that was more about a Burnley mistake from Ben Mee than it was then like ingenuitive uh link up play and creativity from Liverpool. So I mean fair play to Burnley, but if you had asked me who I anticipated would end Liverpool's sixty-eight game unbeaten streak at Anfield in the Premier League. Probably wouldn't have said Burnley.
0: <laughs> I remember Peter Crouch said that uh, whenever he was lining up against the team, he divided the centre-backs into wildebeest and um, and gazelles, you know, to kind of pick on um, which one to play against. But I think Burnley have two wildebeest, don't they? They have orcs from the yeah, Lords of the Rings. Sean digs holes good. in the training ground and the centre-halves
2: come out. From
0: the <laughs> <leader>. <laughs> um, yeah, on the other side of Merseyside, everything... Had a good week beating Wolves 2 1 and then being Sheffield 3 0 last night. Hamas uh, Riga's masterclass, just fantastic footballer. Like 15, sorry, 10, uh, goal contributing actions this season out of uh, 15 appearances in all competitions. And his left foot is just something else, really. Like for everything's third and second and third goal last night, they were just identical. Uh, Hamas crossing a corner kick perfectly on a plate for, uh, Richardson and then Yeri Mina. Uh, a good result for them. Uh, and then moving on, in Spain in Seville, uh, both Seville teams are playing. Sevilla Bicadis, 3-0. Uh, Youssef Naziri, he's been linked with West Ham United, actually scored a hat-trick. And second hat-trick this month, he has scored one against Real Sociedad earlier in the month. So they're in, a, he's got, in quite a purple patch of form, heavily linked with West Ham. And uh, Real Sociedad drew 2-2 with Real Betis. And actually it was, Sergio Canales got... Betis back to 2-1 after being 2-0 down. And then Joaquin, who was playing his first minutes of 2021 after testing positive earlier in the season, came on to score a last-minute equaliser, 92nd minute. And he actually became uh, the first player to score in four decades of Spanish football in the top two divisions, the 1990s, uh, the 2000s, 2010s and 2020s, which is quite a remarkable stat, really. Um, And then moving on to Germany, um, some interesting games there, Jasmine. Uh, Bayern beat Schalke 4-0. Hatch of assist from Joshua Kimmich. And also Hertha Berlin um, lost 4-1 to Werder Bremen. Uh, what are your thoughts on those games?
1: Um, the Hertha Berlin game was pretty much the uh, highlight highlight of the, the games. I mean, it's the ones with the most consequences. Bruno Lab- Labbadia... That's his name was sacked, <laughs> along with sporting director Michael Preets, and um, it, it's a bit of a weird time at Herter Berlin. They're a team that were trying to break that top six four kind of mold, trying to be the new elite club. They've pumped in quite a bit of money. They've got it, it, it's basically a Chelsea light that was going on around there they pumped in quite a bit of money they've got different um individual players with so much quality including Matthias Cunha and they just got absolutely spanked at home by Werder Bremen who is right next to them in the bottom of the table just outside of the relegation places so um the CEO and board members have decided to have a complete clear out uh, the sporting director Michael Preets had been there since well he was the system manager in around 2003 became sporting director in 2009 so it's a good 11 years of work that he's been there they've gone through um, relegations and promotions and they're just expecting something more from Herter now it's it was kind of interesting because a few people were linking uh, Tuchel to the Hertha job, which I think may have made Chelsea step up their game. I don't think even Tuchel would have gone. I think he was, even for that project, too big for them. And now it's seeing who gets the sporting director job. There's um, rumours of Ralph Ragnick getting that. And then, obviously, the appointment of the head coach Depends if it, they get along and wants to work with Ralph Ragnick, who can be quite, although amazing, can be quite controlling of things at times. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting in the next few weeks what exactly happens there. They've um, put ex-manager and ex-player Pal Dardai into the helm of head coach until the end of the season, um, who should get them running enough to... Finished mid-table he's a good manager was a good manager for them in the past and only went down to become a youth coach because him and the sporting director Michael Preutz didn't really get along and see eye to eye so uh, but elsewhere apart from the Hertha Berlin it was another good week for Bayern Munich as Leipzig lost once again when I said earlier a couple of weeks ago Leipzig had only conceded nine goals they've now conceded 17 around eight goals in their last four um so yeah it's a little bit worrying from Leipzig um Leverkusen again that chasing pack once again with odd results it was a very good weekend for Frankfurt Frankfurt Gladbach and Wolfsburg all winning and a very terrible week for Dortmund who dropped into seventh because of Gladbach winning against them. And yeah, it's to see if Dortmund also want to keep Terzic till the end of the season, because right now they don't look like they're going to even qualify for the Europa League. And their stats, underlying numbers, have gone way down since Terzic's appointment.
0: Yeah, Dortmund, the battle of the Borussia is Dortmund and Gladbach was really an entertaining game, I thought, the 4-2. Very good game. Um, John, you want to touch on Galway United? bit of interesting news from them this week. Yeah, yeah, my local club and uh who have appointed a
2: female first team head coach. So, it's been described to me as the Steve McLaren role under Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. So, by all accounts, she's going to run the training and do all the preparation while John Caulfield, a man you'll know well as a Cork City fan, um he'll be the overseer as such and I know that she is a very, very impressive pundit. She's probably the best pundit I've ever heard on Irish TV in terms of actually talking about football and not tired all cliques about wanting it more and about personality and just things that they can trot out to cover over the fact that they haven't done any research. She's clearly she's clearly a student of the game. Her her coaching career has been very impressive to date. She's worked in the WSL in England. She's worked with the male Northern Irish football team. So I wish her the best of luck and I think it's a momentous appointment in terms of equality and uh, just not only that in terms of a quality operator, I think that she has all the tools to make a very good, to make a very successful time of her appointment there and uh, going either really pushing the boat out in terms of trying to get promoted and they've always been described as a sleeping giant in terms of uh, the League of Ireland so hopefully they get promoted and are back with the big boys next season.
0: Yes, certainly. I think that one thing, you know, Brexit will happen for Irish football is that it's kind of almost forcing them into change aren't they and that combined with the appointment of Stephen Kenny as the uh, head head coach of the national team it kind of really feels like there's a shift in Irish football towards a kind of a different way maybe more modernity more forward thinking almost a realization that you always in the best way and that things need to change you know so hopefully that will uh, bear fruit in the near future both domestically and for the national team.
2: Absolutely. You see that young kid from Shamrock Rovers who's due to be joining Inter Milan. So perhaps now more players will look towards the continent, which I think is probably, is probably better for Irish football in the long run because invariably a lot of clubs in Europe wouldn't have the money that the Premier League clubs have. So they don't really turn to short-term solutions as often. So they like to build from within their academies and make kind of smaller money acquisitions. So you'd think if some of these kids go abroad, they'll get more opportunities
0: to play. Definitely, definitely. And come back then with new ideas, even as coaches, perhaps. You know, I think it's it's only a good thing, really, isn't it? Like, um, But it's almost out of time. But just finally, I know, Jasmine, you wanted to touch on one of the more hard-hitting stories of the week um, regarding a certain Spanish striker formerly of Liverpool and Chelsea in and the Madrid. Torres
1: getting games. Torres <laughs> getting on that um, creatine.
0: Yeah, he's got jacked. Got he's,
1: he's got absolutely jacked <laughs> in what world I mean I've been discussing with a few um, people in uh, who are um, into the fitness side of football and um, I always get little bits of advice and one of the advice is basically you don't really want a, sh- a shape like a Dharma triore you want to go the opposite of that. yeah players do light upper body work. Do a lot of sprints and runs, cardio, and then a lot of leg work. Which I even joked in our little chat before we came onto the podcast that Eden Hazard takes very, very seriously. And it, it's nice to see what Torres would look like if he was a wrestler. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, because not even like he's he's gotten big. He's gotten really big. Like it's like his neck is like fleshed out and everything. It's like he's properly looks like like swole, like you know, he's not just like put on a bit of muscle, he really looks kind of markedly different. Like John, what do you make of the news? The picture?
2: Like as you know, like I cover like a lot of rugby for my job and like he's built like a back row forward. He's absolutely monstrous. And I'm just thinking during his playing career, he was strong. He was a physical forward, but God, he must be he must be twice as strong now. I'd say he's lost a lot of mobility though. But the absolute size of him, he has pythons like Hulk Hogan, like he's huge. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he's like, taking a role actually with Electrical B, coaching a role there and um I think they won the first game at the weekend in Segunda be B, I think it was. Or the Tercera, sorry. So interesting to see how he how he goes forward as a coach. I d I wouldn't have pegged him as a coach, but it seems to be that's the way he's going. So uh, He might get the Chelsea job, you never know. Yeah, I know. Well they're used to appointing former players, aren't they? You don't necessarily deserve it, like so it could be it could be the case. But uh but yeah, that's that's all we have time for today, guys. Thanks a million for joining me. Uh, thanks very much, Jasmine. Do you have any um, pieces to plug anything you want to you uh, promote before we let you go
1: um, now just my Twitter as usual underscore Jasmine Baba.
0: perfect and you John
2: just yeah my Twitter at uh, notoriousjos. Uh, probably have some more stuff Liverpool FC related coming out in our field index in the coming days so you can keep your eyes on that
0: great great stuff and then for me of course is uh, Azul Feely and all panels be available below in the description so there's no worries there um, so, yeah, guys, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Jasmine. Cheers. And thanks, John.
2: Cheers. Thanks a million.
0: And thanks to the listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show. Lots packing this week. Um, I, if you liked it, please leave a rating and recommend it to your friends and a comment as well because it really helps in terms of getting it out there and increasing listenership. But, yeah, see you next week. Thanks, guys.